Welcome to tax update number four for Saturday, July 9th, 2005. This is the fourth tax update in our series, and today's topic deals with state income taxation and trust and estates. The taxation of trust and estates at the state level is an interesting topic that I find generates a lot of confusion. The issue we're going to consider today is what makes a trust or a state a resident of a particular state. Now, as I'm based in Arizona, I will talk primarily about the Arizona rules involved with trusts and estates, but what we will consider will actually be three different states, and we're going to look at this as a general idea of how you deal with state residency determinations for trusts and estates. Today, we'll look first at Arizona and the rules here for determining whether a trust or an estate is a resident of the state of Arizona. Then we'll take a look at two other states, primarily to illustrate the differences in how the states determine what is a resident trust or estate. For instance, we'll look at the state of California and the state of Michigan. Both of those have very different rules for determining what is a resident trust or estate. Why is this important? Well, as we are aware, trusts and estates are generally quasi-pass-through entities. By that, we mean that they look to the taxpayer as, in some cases, an entity that passes its income on to the beneficiaries. In other cases, they are an entity that's taxable in and of itself. The key issue becomes for residency when the tr trust or estate itself is taxable on the income. A resident trust or estate must pay tax to that state on all income it receives, no matter what the source. A non-resident trust or estate only pays tax on income generally sourced to the state or in question. So that means if a trust is a California resident trust, it will pay tax to the state of California on things like interest and dividend income. If the trust or estate is a California non-resident, it would only pay tax to California on items sourced to California, such as rentals from California real estate. Similarly, you may find that having it be a resident has an impact on where you need to file. Now, the one thing residency does not determine, though, is the taxation of amounts generally distributed from the estate. In that case, generally, the residency of the beneficiary is key. So where this can become crucial is when you have a trust or a state that holds income, that is either not required to currently distribute income or simply does not distribute its income currently. Those two cases make a case where the state income tax may be due, and it may be important to know where you have residency status. It may be crucial to know that. Let's take a look first at the state of Arizona as an example of how we make a determination, and I think it will surprise some practitioners who may assume that this test is done very differently than it actually is. Arizona, like most states, treats trusts and estates under separate rules for the determination of what is a resident. For Arizona, an estate is treated as a resident for Arizona purposes based upon the residency of the decedent at the date of his death. Arizona Revised Statute, Section 43, 1301-4. You'll find that most states use a test very similar to this to determine residency for an estate. 
What that also means is that an estate retains its status as an Arizona estate regardless of what happens from here forward. Once an Arizona resident estate, always an Arizona resident estate, it either is or it isn't from day one. Trusts are more complicated beasts, and there we do not have much in the way of standardization among the states on how we test this. Arizona imposes a very simple, if quite often unfair and far-reaching test for what is a resident estate, or resident trust, I should say. Arizona Revised Statutes, Section 43-13015, provides that a resident trust is, and I quote, a trust of which the fiduciary is a resident of this state. If a trust has more than one fiduciary, the trust is a resident trust if at least one of the fiduciaries is a resident of this state. If a corporate fiduciary engaged in interstate trust administration is a sole fiduciary of a trust or is a co-fiduciary with a non-resident, the trust is a resident trust only if the corporate fiduciary conducts administration of the trust in this state. Note this is a fairly simple test. If we have any fiduciary who is a resident of the state of Arizona, is who is an individual and is a resident of the state of Arizona, or is a corporate fiduciary and administers the trust in the state of Arizona, you have an Arizona resident trust. The Arizona revised statutes don't make it clear when we make this test, but the Arizona Department of Revenue has indicated the testing date is the last date of the trust year, informally has made that indication. So that means that December 31st we go around and we just find out what is the residency status of each of the fiduciaries. What does that mean for those of you in Arizona who are practicing? Well, if you have somebody move into the state of Arizona, you pick them up as a client, they are the fiduciary on, an, on a trust, you will find that you may now have or you will have an Arizona filing requirement for that trust, even if all the beneficiaries are beneficiaries in the state of Texas. It's not relevant. Arizona, we now have an Arizona trust, and we have an Arizona trust, and the trust will now pay tax to the state of Arizona so long as any income remains undistributed under the rules for distribution of income. Now, there are a couple of complications here. Remember, if an Arizona, Arizona follows the federal law in general for income tax purposes, what that means is if a revocable trust is elected to be treated as part or even all of an estate during administration of the estate, the only entity there, quite often something we do here, that for our purposes initially for testing, that is an estate. Once it ceases to be an estate, and under the federal rules that happens at the end of the deemed administration period, if the trust even just continues but now is no longer an estate, at that point it will be treated as a trust for federal tax purposes. That means the Arizona test now switches from the estate test, what was the residency of the decedent, to the trust test, what is the residency of the fiduciaries. Finally, remember, none of this matters about Arizona source income. Arizona source income will still require a trust to file an Arizona non-resident return for the trust and pay tax on Arizona source income. As well, if all income is distributed or to the extent income is distributed, the nature of that income goes upon source and we look to the beneficiary level to determine if that beneficiary has to pay tax to the state of Arizona. This does not impact the taxation of amounts distributed to beneficiaries. If I have an Arizona trustee, 
but the only income of the trust is interest income and it distributes that income to a beneficiary in Texas, that Texas beneficiary will not file an Arizona income tax return to pay tax to the state of Arizona on that interest income. Again, this would affect only income retained in the trust. If the trust does not distribute its income to that Texas beneficiary, let's say the trust allows the trustee to hold back or make make distributions of income only at the trustee's discretion and the trustee decides not to make it, then you would pay tax to the state of Arizona on that income. Now, that's the Arizona rule. Arizona's rule is not the rule in other states. Let's take the large next-door neighbor, California. California has a rather unique set of tests that you find beginning at California Revenue and Taxation Code, Section 17742A, gives us our general rule. The California state test for estates is basically identical to the Arizona one. We again are looking to the residency status of the decedent. That is section 17742A. Now basically that's simple. However, for a trust things get more complicated and what you do not have is the Arizona rule. For California the residency of the fiduciary matters but it is not a case where a single California fiduciary will convert this into a California resident trust. In fact, under California's rules that you find in the California Revenue and Taxation Code, what you will discover is that it's a simple rule in one sense. There are actually five separate situations that can apply. Walk through them slowly. Again, following down in that same area of the California Revenue and Taxation Code, you're going to find the first test is If all fiduciaries of the trust are California residents, the trust is a California trust. You can stop your analysis. Case two, if all beneficiaries of the trust are California residents, the trust is a California resident. You can stop your analysis. Now we will presume that we now have a case where either some or none of the the fiduciaries are California residents, and some or none of the beneficiaries are California residents. So again, if all of either class were residents of California, we're already done. Let us now go on to the case. If we have the case where some of the fiduciaries are California residents, but none of the beneficiaries are California residents, then we have a proration. Basically, under California Revenue and Taxation Code Section 17743, we perform an allocation based upon the number of California to non-California fiduciaries. Similarly, if all beneficiaries, now let's take, let's presume all of our fiduciaries are not California residents. Okay, we covered that, but some of the beneficiaries are, not all of them. Again, we go to a proportionate calculation under California Revenue and Taxation Code 17744. Finally, the fifth case, now let's say we have a case where both we have a combo of resident and non-resident California fiduciaries and resident and non-resident California beneficiaries. Then we do a rather interesting and long calculation that combines those two, a calculation that you will find under that you will have to work through the instructions to the California 541 as well as the worksheet on page 3 
for the allocation. What California ends up doing is virtually an allocation or an apportionment style calculation, almost from the corporate rule. But this is based on number of beneficiaries, numbers of trustees. Again, it does not matter for non-California source, for California source income, it's still going to be taxed in California. But non-California source income is only going to be taxed once it passes through these filters and we do this apportionment style calculation. It's an interesting method, but it's rather unique to the state of California. Let's consider state number three, the state of Michigan. Michigan uses a set of rules that are different from either Arizona or California. By the way, there is a pattern here you're beginning to see, and this will be true across the board. Generally, every state has some unique feature about how it determines residency status. But let's take the state of Michigan. A state's, again, very similar. Michigan refers to the domicile of a decedent at the date of death. If they were, a Michigan, they were domiciled in the state of Michigan, the trust, the estate is a Michigan estate, period. However, Michigan expands that definition, and by the way, that definition is filed under Michigan Compiled Laws, Section 206.181b. Michigan expands this concept to apply to trust as well. So for Michigan, the simple rule is you look to the domicile of the decedent if the trust was established under the will. So if you have a trust established, Joe dies, Joe's, Joe's will provides that his estate shall be divided into two trusts. Sounds rather similar, Does sounds rather familiar, doesn't it? And trust B goes off and goes for these beneficiaries. Trust B will be a Michigan resident trust always, even if no fiduciaries and no beneficiaries are Michigan residents, because the grantor effectively was deemed to be a Michigan resident. Similarly, if the trust is established by a living person during, them li during their life, we'll look at the residency of the person who created the trust or whose property became part of the trust at the time the trust became irrevocable. So if I take $100,000, put it into trust for my grandchild, make the trust irrevocable today, and I'm a Michigan resident, that trust is now and always will be a Michigan resident trust. Now you may notice something. These rules are not mutually exclusive. It is perfectly possible for a trust to be resident of more than one state. In fact, Arizona's credit for taxes paid to other states for a trust specifically limits itself to cases where a trust or a state is deemed to be a resident of both states. Interesting quirk and very different to the credit you'll find for individual returns. Let's consider some examples that can point out where these problems can occur. In the printed materials that I'll make available on the edzollers.com website, example one, we have a trust established by A who is a resident of Arizona holding only publicly traded stock. The trust income beneficiary is B, a resident of Arizona. C, a resident of Michigan is appointed trustee of the trust. This trust is not an Arizona trust. The only trustee is a, not an Arizona resident. The trust is not a Michigan trust. The trust was established by an individual who was not a resident of the state of Michigan when the trust became irrevocable. In fact, this trust isn't a resident of any state for income tax filing purposes. 
That is true even though many practitioners would presume to get this result, the trust would somehow have to be associated with a state like Nevada or Texas. Does not. This trust falls through the cracks entirely. Example two. We'll take these same facts, except now, after a year or so, the income beneficiary leaves Arizona and moves across the Colorado River and takes residence in Blythe, California. Now the trust is a California resident trust. If that trust income is not distributed, now the trust will pay California state income tax on its earnings. Example three. Let's take the same facts back to example one so we have so we have everybody back where they were, except now we're going to make A, the person who founded the trust, domiciled in Michigan. So A's to A, the grantor, is in Michigan. B, the beneficiary, resides in Arizona. Now the trust is a Michigan resident trust because the grantor was a Michigan resident when the trust was established. That trust will pay income taxes to the state of Michigan if it retains income. Let's combine example three with number two. Now B, the beneficiary, leaves Arizona, moves to California. The trust remains a Michigan resident since it became irrevocable when the grantor was domiciled in Michigan. But as well, because all beneficiaries are now California residents, it is also a California resident trust. It gets to pay income taxes to both states on retained incomes. So its interest from that bank account at the local bank is going to be subject to tax by both the state of California and the state of Michigan. Let's take example four, except now does that same example extend one more thing. We're now going to move the trustee to the state of Arizona. Now the trust is resident of all three states. That trust is a resident of California because the beneficiaries, all beneficiaries of California residents. It is a resident of Arizona because it has at least one trustee who is an Arizona resident. And it is a resident of Michigan because the grantor was a Michigan resident when the trust was established. This creates some real exposure for practitioners. Why? Because, remember, if a trust return is not filed, the statute doesn't close. In theory, the state of Michigan could discover 10 years later that you should have been filing with Michigan. The state of Michigan can then move to collect that in, those income taxes from the trust, even though the statute is closed everywhere else. The other big problem, if you don't get this right, and you've been filing with the wrong state, you can have a double whammy. You may have been paying taxes to the state of Arizona for years that you didn't have to pay and may not have been filing with the state of Michigan with whom you had to file. Now you have a problem because your statute for Arizona for claiming the refunds will still claim after the four-year statute expires, but the statute for Michigan for going after the unpaid tax continues forever. So at best, you could recover four years of taxes that hadn't been paid, that should have, that shouldn't, that had been paid, that shouldn't have been. But you will not be able to recover those taxes beyond that four-year period, though the state of Michigan can still go after its taxes prior to that period. Well, what does this mean for the average practitioner? 
What it means is there's an action points that you need to be aware of. When taking on or dealing with somebody who has trusts or estates, if you pick up a trust or estate return you become responsible for, you need to ask questions about the residency of the beneficiaries, the trustee, and the residency status of the grantor. Basically find out where they were when it was established, find out what, they were, what their residency status is today, and then check all potential states for their rules. Every state has different rules. Following those rules, you then can determine what you'll end up doing regarding filing of returns, but realize you can be whipsawed. If you are an Arizona practitioner, you need to warn clients who may be trustees of trusts that the mere fact they are a trustee of a trust makes that trust an Arizona resident trust, even if as far as they're concerned, this was a trust established by their aunt in Michigan and the beneficiary is their niece in Ohio and they won't see any reason why the state of Arizona should be bothered with it. You need to warn your client that in fact that has to be done and as the trustee it is their duty to understand that point so please be aware and warn on this issue. This has been the tax update for July 9th 2005. Again we hope to be posting this on a weekly basis and we'll look to come up with some new and different topics to talk about as time goes on. If you have comments about this webcast please send me an email to ed at hmtzcpas.com. You also can find out more information about this webcast on my edzollers.com website. And please let me know what you think. Let me know if you have any ideas for improvements or topics. And I'll hopefully be posting back in a week.